Well, today we're continuing our look at the Ten Commandments. And as we started last week, we asked the question, should we display the Ten Commandments? It's been controversial in our culture and our society. Should we display them? And my answer was yes. Absolutely. We should display them. But not in stone. Yes, Lord? (laughs) Not in stone. Not in cardboard, placards, or whatever. But we are to display the Ten Commandments in our lives. We are to live them out. And as people look at us, they ought to gain a sense of who what the Ten Commandments are all about. They are to gain a sense of what it means to live together as God's people. Now, as you look at these Ten Commandments, I want to confess to you, I've broken every one of them. I have. In the true sense of what they're meant to be. Now, there's ones like we'll be looking at today, like don't murder, don't commit adultery. But as you look at how they're explained throughout the Scriptures, it isn't just that outward barrier it's talking about. It's talking about far deeper things. For example, Jesus summarizes the entire Ten Commandments in chapter 22 of Matthew, Mark 12, other places. When he says this, the lawyer asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Jesus summarized the entire law, the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets, by saying, love God and love others. But he also summarized the Ten Commandments when he did that because they are a summary of the entire law. The first four of the Ten Commandments we looked at last week. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We are to love God. We are to, to depend on Him. We are to honor Him in everything we, are, we do. We are to submit to Him as Lord, not try to make Him into what we want Him to be, but to submit to Him as Lord. We are to rest in His finished work. We are to rest in His strength, in His power, depend on Him. So that's what it, the first four apply to. Love God. With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the next six that we'll be looking at today are summarized by love your neighbor as yourself. Loving others. Positively loving others. And as we look at each one, we'll see that they have a positive side. As you go through the scriptures, they're all explained in a positive way. So let's look together at these next six. How to love others. How to love your neighbor as yourself. We're beginning in verse 12 of Exodus chapter 20 as we're continuing our study through the book of Exodus. And the fifth commandment is this one. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Honor your father and your mother. Think about our culture for a minute. Our culture doesn't do this very well, does it? In our culture, we exalt youthfulness. We exalt independence from our parents. We move around a lot, so we're far away from our parents, many of us. Our culture exalts productivity, and we look at people who cannot be productive, and we feel that they no longer have value. 
So we look at older folks as our parents age. And we tend to put them away at homes or other places. We put them out of sight so we don't have to deal with them any longer. And they've taken on that cultural perspective because and they say things like, well, I just don't want to be a burden to anyone. And we're more comfortable that way. And they seem to be, too. So they withdraw from family and from the world. But God's call to us as the people of God is to not fall into the cultural trappings around us, but instead to honor our father and our mother. And notice it says father and mother. Interesting that this was a very patriarchal society. It was very male centered. And yet God's commandment to the people is honor both equally. Don't set one above the other. Honor both your parents. But what does this mean? Well, the word for honor is one that means to give weight to, to weigh heavily, to consider carrying great weight. Let me just give you a picture, see if this helps. In our house and many of your houses, you have a a more formal dining room and you have the nicer table there and the nicer chairs. And that's where you bring out the maybe the fine china, the nicer dishes and It's saved for special occasions. Then you have the kitchen table where you eat all the time and you use the everyday stuff and you don't count that as heavily. See, that dining room, that area, you, you weigh more heavily. You consider it with greater weight, greater value. That's how we are to honor and consider with great weight our parents. Treat them with special respect, with special value. Why should we do this? Well, I think scripture reflects several reasons. One is they've given us physical life. They are the source of physical life to us. They brought us into the world and they raised us and they poured their life into us. And because of that, we owe them honor in response. And if you've come from a Christian home, they hopefully pass on spiritual life to you as well. But even if you didn't come from a spiritual home, yet they also passed on to you how to live life. And you learned much from them. Even if they weren't great parents and no parents are perfect, you learned much from them. And therefore, you ought to honor them and give them weight. And another very important reason why we should honor our parents is that the way we learn to honor that kind of authority in our lives, our first authority, the most basic authority in our lives, it's how we will learn to submit to God's authority someday in our lives. And the other authorities that God brings into our lives, whether it's government or a job or whatever it might be, as we learn to honor our parents well, we learn to honor others well as well. Well, what does this look like? What does it mean? Well, if you look through the scriptures, you see that honoring, giving weight to your parents means, for example, to respect them with your actions and your words. Notice the next chapter, Exodus 21 Verse 15 and 17. Notice the seriousness of this. Verse 15. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Capital punishment for striking a parent. Verse 17. He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Actions, words. We are to honor them with our actions and our words. We are not ever to treat them with dishonor, respect them. And if you look in the scripture, when you're in the home, when you're younger, it's clear Ephesians 6, 
chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then it quotes in the next couple of verses this very commandment. So when you're in the home, to honor them means to obey them, to do what they tell you to do. Even though you, you may not like it, that is honoring them. That is giving their word weight. You'll have opportunity soon enough to make your own decisions. <laughs> so while you're in the home, honor them. The scriptures also reflect honoring as, as they get older, you take care of them physically. You meet their physical needs. You see this in 1 Timothy, for example, verse five, chapter 5, verse 8. It says, if you do not take care of the members of your own household physically, meet their physical needs in the context, you are worse than an unbeliever. You see, as the people of God, we are to care for our aging parents. We, are need, we need to make sure their physical and their emotional needs are met. Now, I've spoken with many of you that struggle with this. How do, how do I do this? But it's a good struggle. I encourage you to consider how you can do that. We often live apart from them. In our own family, as my parents got older and got sick, and it, uh, they moved into our home with us, we took care of them until they died. With uh, Jeannie's family, her mom lives alone, and she has the attitude, I don't want to be a burden to anyone, so I'm going to continue to live alone. And yet she's to a place where she's viable at the moment, but how long that's going to last, I don't know. She's been in poor health. So what does it mean for us to make sure her physical and her emotional needs are met? It's hard. She lives in California. We have to wrestle with that. But you know what? It's a good wrestling because we are to honor our parents. We're to honor them. Now, whenever you talk about honoring your, your parents, seems like two questions always come up. For one, how long should you honor them? <laughs> when can I quit? <laughs> well, I think you can tell from what I've already said, we're to honor them all our lives. Now, in the first service, I said all their lives. But then I realized, you know what? You need to honor the memory of your parents even after they're gone. You need to weigh heavily what they've taught you even after they're gone and not hold on to bitterness and anger. You've got to let that go, whether they're alive or if they're gone. So we're to honor them all our lives. But it changes over time, doesn't it? I mean, when you're in the home, you're young, you honor them by obeying what they tell you to do, whether you like it or not. As you get older and independent, you've got your own home, you're, you're functioning outside the home. We honor them by honoring their wisdom, by seeking their advice, by appreciating them by seeking to spend time with them when you can, those kinds of things. And then we honor them later in life by seeking to meet their physical needs and emotional needs, by looking for a way to care for them at that time. So how long should we honor our parents? All our lives. Second question that always seems to come up is, what about ungodly or abusive parents? What does it mean to honor them? Well, this is a very difficult question, and, and I understand that. The Bible makes very clear that when it comes down to a choice of either obeying your parents who are ungodly or obeying God and there's conflict, you must obey God. As Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 26, if you want to be my disciple, he said, you must hate your father and mother and other family members. Now, he doesn't mean hate them. He doesn't mean, he doesn't mean be mean to them, etc. But what he's saying there is 
When it comes down to a choice between following God or following your parents, you need to follow God first. But I think we're still called to somehow do what we can to honor them, to, to give them weight. And if they're abusive, that may mean drawing boundaries. It may mean at times a break in relationship so that they don't continue to treat you the way they have, etc. I, I understand, but, but you've got to deal with your own bitterness of your own heart. To honor them means honoring them from the heart, which means praying for them, caring for them, wanting salvation, wanting life for them. That's what it means to honor them, I think. It's tough. You need to seek wisdom to figure out what it means to honor an ungodly parent, but we are to honor our parents all our lives. So that's the fifth commandment. The sixth one is this. Two words in the Hebrew. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. Well, if you haven't killed anyone, you've completed this one, right? We're done. No, you know what? It says much more than that. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament, like with all these next four, he strengthens them. He says, oh, yeah, you say you haven't murdered. Well, have you even been angry at a brother and said you fool to them or thought that in your heart? Then you've broken this commandment. You see, Jesus strengthens it. But I think the positive side of it, of this do not murder, is that we are to protect life. We're to protect life. And I think that's what Scripture teaches us to do as the people of God. Wherever we go to seek to enhance life, to encourage life, to nurture life, to protect life. Now, let me say that this word murder here, do not murder, in some translations, older translations, it says do not kill. But that's not a good translation because there's a number of words for kill, and this one means to take an innocent life, either intentionally or unintentionally. So this commandment has nothing to say about capital punishment, whether that's okay or not, or whether it's okay to kill someone in a war It's not addressing that. There's other places in Scripture you'd have to go to address those things. Or whether it's okay to kill animals for food, that kind of thing. It doesn't address that at all because it's only taking an innocent human life. But again, the encouragement is we need to protect life. We need to protect people's physical lives. How do we fulfill this? What does it mean for us to protect life? Well, it means to make sure your car's in good shape. That you have good brakes. It means you don't drive drunk. You need to protect other people's lives. It means if you're too old to be able to drive safely, that you let someone else drive you. Because you could be a danger to someone else. It means you protect life around your home. You shovel the walk when it snows. Don't walk by my house because I haven't shoveled it yet today. I want to protect your life, so stay away. (laughs) It means that we care about abortion. We stand against it because that's the taking of innocent life. But we don't stand against it by raging at someone who's had an abortion or or someone who does abortions. Because you know what? When you do that, you're violating this commandment. Because you're not protecting and enhancing life. Why don't you start a support group for those who have had abortions so they can deal with the guilt and the pain of that? Why don't you work in a crisis pregnancy center so you can enhance the life of those and protect the children that as those women make those choices with the difficulty of a 
difficult pregnancy. Look for ways rather, in other words, to protect and enhance life in every place you go. Physically, and also, I think, protect people's quality of life. Enhance their spiritual life. As you meet with people, as you have coffee with them, look for ways to encourage the life of God in them, to encourage them towards depending on Christ if they don't know Him. And just look for ways to make their life better. That's fulfilling this commandment. Do not murder. Protect life. Nurture life. Enhance life everywhere you can. It's good to remember that people are broken. People are hurting. How can you bring healing into their lives? That's fulfilling this commandment. The next commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is seen as a terrible violation of the marriage covenant in the Old Testament. It's punishable in the Old Testament by death. Several places. One, one verse, if you want to write it down, Deuteronomy 22, verse 23. Adultery is punishable by death. It's a violation of God's character. God is a God of covenant, a God of faithfulness. And when you have a covenant marriage relationship and you violate that by committing adultery, you violate God's very heart. It's the very worst kind of stealing, stealing someone else's spouse. It breaks faithfulness. It breaks trust. In the most important social relationship, the most foundational social relationship God's given us, marriage. Therefore, it's a horrible violation of God's character. God's plan from the very beginning, Genesis 2, verse 24. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Notice the order. You leave your old home, you cleave. That's a picture of covenant, picture of commitment, saying your vows and meaning them. And then you become one flesh. And then you have sexual satisfaction in the context of covenant relationship. That's God's design for marriage. And our culture ignores all that and thinks sex is okay at any time in any place and doesn't really do any people harm, etc. But that's wrong. Strong marriages, strong families are the foundation of a healthy society. So how do we protect marriage? Well, I think we need to consider how to protect other people's marriages, how to encourage them to have healthy marriages, how to, how to make sure that we take care of our own marriage as well. And one way to do both is pursue purity in our own lives. Pure of heart. Let me just suggest some real practical things on how to do that for you women. I think many women get caught up because their, their marriages aren't very satisfying. They get caught up in either flirtatiousness with other men, perhaps, or in a fantasy world in which their intimacy is really coming from their reading or TV or soaps or just their own minds, their own fantasy, because they're dissatisfied in their own marriages. But when you do that, you're violating the marriage covenant. Because you're looking elsewhere for your intimacy, elsewhere for life. And let me encourage you women not to do that. But enhance your own marriage, your own relationship by pursuing purity and seeking the tougher road of seeking a deeper intimacy with your spouse, even when it's hard. 
And for men, it's, it's similar. Let me encourage you that when you, when you struggle with pornography or you give in to pornography, you're violating the marriage covenant because you're pursuing a false intimacy, a sexual intimacy with someone who's just airbrushed on a page who your wife can never compete with and your heart is being dissipated and your covenant love is being taken somewhere else rather than focused on your wife where we are designed to get our satisfaction both sexually and emotionally from them. So men and women, if you struggle in these areas, I encourage you to pursue purity. That's, that's what the commandment's about. Protect marriage, first your own and then other people's as well. Do what you can to enhance marriage. And if you struggle in those areas, get help. We have support groups for both men and women who struggle in areas of addiction, pornography, etc. God calls us to protect the marriage covenant. The Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal, verse 15. You shall not steal. What's it talking about? Don't take what someone else's for yourself. Don't take what someone else's for yourself. But as you look through the Old Testament and the New Testament about what he's really talking about, he's saying there's a lot of laws that encourage us to make sure other people's needs, physical needs, are met. In other words, it isn't just don't take what they have, but be generous. Give what you have to enhance their life rather than taking what they have. Okay? Seek to do what you can to give life, to give things to others. In the Old Testament, the laws are related around things like don't charge interest. You're taking someone else's money unfairly. Don't keep someone's cloak overnight if you've taken it as a pledge. Give it to them. Pay their wages quickly and on time, daily, it says. Whereas our culture says, get rich quick. Take what you can. Go for the gusto. Make sure you take care of yourself first. Go into debt, our culture says. And I think, and you know, I'm going to step out on a limb here. <laughs> But I think when we use credit cards and go into debt, it's a form of stealing. We're taking something that someone else is when we haven't really paid for it, when we don't have the money to pay for it. And we're going into debt, getting ourselves in financial trouble because we want it now. We're taking. And let me encourage you, that's not what God's called us to God's plan is that we might live a generous life, that we might just have our basic needs met and anything he gives us above our basic needs, we give away. I love the example of John Wesley, one of the great godly men in the 1700s who founded Methodism, the Methodist church. And a godly man, when he made 30 English pounds, which was a reasonable living, he lived off 30 English pounds, he and his family. When he made 60 English pounds, he lived off 30 and gave 30 away. When he made 120 English pounds, he lived off 30 and gave 90 away. You see, that's a wonderful way to live, to live generously, to say, I want to give what I can for others. I want to live a generous, giving life. Commandment number nine. 
You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, this is a court setting that he's talking about, bearing witness in court. In their culture, of course, they didn't have DNA testing and fingerprinting and forensics, all the things that we do to try to figure out who's guilty and who's not. All they had was the testimony of witnesses. That's why it said no one could be condemned without two or three witnesses. But it was easy, as it is today, to lie on the witness stand. And so... and condemn someone, maybe to help a relative or someone you'd rather support rather than and condemn someone unfairly. He's saying, don't do that. Don't defame their reputation that way. But that gives us a picture of what the positive side of this commandment is. And again, you see this in Scripture, that we are to protect the reputations of one another. Encourage and enhance the reputations of other people rather than detract from them. Martin Luther wrote this, the great reformer, for honor and good name are easily taken away. Honor and good name are easily taken away, but not easily restored. As you know, you can do great harm to someone's reputation in an instant. It's not easily rebuilt. I appreciate the perspective of Dr. Bruce Walkie, so I want to read something from him. About our culture, politicians seek to destroy one another in negative campaigning. Gossip columnists feed off calumny. And in Christian living rooms, reputations are tarnished and destroyed over cups of coffee served in fine china with biscuits. These de facto courtrooms, speaking of those living rooms, They're courtrooms, and they are conducted without due process of Torah. Accusations are made, hearsay allowed, slander, perjury, and libelous comments uttered without objection. No evidence, no defense. And then he says, this is how I try to live out this commandment. Personally, I refuse to participate in or tolerate any conversation in which a person is being defamed or accused without the person being there to defend himself. It is wrong to pass along hearsay in any form as prayer requests or as a pastoral concern. More than not merely participating, excuse me, let me read that again. More than merely not participating, it is up to Christians to stop rumors and gossips in their tracks. This is convicting for all of us, isn't it? It is for me. We break this commandment when we don't protect the reputations of others. When we don't stop gossip in its track. That's what God's called us to do, to protect one another's reputations. And the 10th commandment, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, don't covet. What does it mean to covet? Coveting, again, Bruce Walkie says, it's a spontaneous desire to possess what the other person has. Spontaneous desire to possess what another person has. Notice it's the only one of these last six that specifically points to the heart. Don't covet. Don't even desire to have what someone else has. And that's why this commandment is so powerful, because the Pharisees could say, oh, yeah, I, don't, I haven't murdered anybody. 
They were missing the intent of the law, but they said, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed adultery, so I'm godly. But they ignored the tenth one. Because none of us in our own strength cannot covet, can we? We desire what other people have. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, this is the commandment that broke him and helped him see his need for God. Because he says in Romans chapter 7, I encourage you to read it. He says, I was alive until the law came and then I died. (laughs) And he quotes this commandment. He says, the law said, do not covet. And I found myself coveting in all kinds of ways because we can't change our own hearts ourselves. This is the commandment that drove Paul to his knees to learn to depend on God alone because he found out he couldn't change his own heart. The commandment says, don't even desire what someone else has. And our culture lives and breathes by covetousness, doesn't it? In fact, marketing, what's the whole point? To stir up coveting in your heart. To say, you really need this. You really need what this person has. You really need more. You need it to have life. And so it lives by coveting. The whole point is to awaken the desire in you for something you don't have and you don't really need. So you'll spend your money to get it so they can take your money. It drives our economy. It drives our sense of wanting to keep up with the Joneses. Creates envy and suspicion and division in relationships. It's destructive. Well, what's the positive side? What does God call us to do as his people? Well, it's clear in Scripture He wants us to live by contentment, by thankfulness, to be content when God meets our basic needs and not feel a need for anything more, but to say, Lord, I don't deserve anything. Everything I have is a gift from you. And therefore, thank you for what you've provided for me. I don't need anything else. And if you provide more than I need, I'll give it away. I'll seek to bless others with it because I want to be a blessing to others. As you read these commandments and you begin to understand the depth of what God calls us to as his people, to be people who are generous, who really love others from the heart, who give ourselves away, who don't take and grasp at the expense of others. Rather, we seek to be a blessing wherever we go. As you really consider that, you realize there's no way we can do this on our own. Like Paul, we need to realize it's far too great for us. The only way I can begin to live these out is love God first, depend on his life in me. Trust him. And as I out of that love for God, then he can begin to express his life, the life of Christ in me to other people. As we've looked at these Ten Commandments, we see that God longs for us to live in covenant relationship with him and with humanity, with others around us, to live as the people of God, to display in our lives a love for him and a love for others that's causes us to stand out and creates a thirst in other people's lives that makes them want to know God like we do, that makes them want to learn to love others like we do. God blesses us that we might be a blessing in a dark world. So love him alone, he says, and out of that love for God, learn to love others by living a generous, giving, honoring life like Jesus did. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these commandments that point to our hearts, that point to our need for you and to really love you and love others.
from our soul, from the depths of our being. And Lord, help us learn to depend on you and to begin to live a life that's more free, more generous, more giving and less selfish and less taking. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for what you are producing in our lives. Help us be lovers of you and lovers of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.